0: Can I move this back? Yeah. Cool. Hey, friends. How <laughs> so about a flawless transition? Um, hey, good to be back with you guys. Um, I was away last week at a monastery called Meccan Abbey and working on the second book and got a lot of good stuff done. So thanks for your prayers. Um, hey, tonight we're diving in to our Exodus series. We're in Exodus 20. We're looking at the Ten Commandments tonight. And the funny thing is, we could actually we have in your past spent an entire semester looking at commandment by commandment. But tonight we're going to try to fit a lot in. Really, why why does God give us? Why did he give his people? Why does he give us the Ten Commandments? So to do that, we're going to look at Exodus 20, verses 1 to 21. So if you want to follow along, send your hand out or if you want to follow along in your copy of God's word. Exodus 20, starting at verse 1. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let me pray for us and then we're going to dive into this tonight. Let's pray first. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us, that we might know ourselves rightly and truly and soberly, and that we might know you, what it is that pleases you, what a life of love toward you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, looks like. I pray in our midst tonight that you would send your spirit without measure, that you would do what we were just saying, that you would open our eyes, that you would unstop, unplug our ears, that we might see you, that we might hear from you as we look at your word. Uh, We admit, we confess that we, in and of ourselves, we're not wise enough, we're not pure enough, we're not smart enough, we're not good enough to do this in and of ourselves. We are hopeless apart from your spirit. We are hopeless apart from your grace. So, Lord, I pray that you would give it without measure tonight, as you love to do. Draw near to us, teach us, um, show us what a life of love toward you looks like. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. So it's my junior year of college, and I've met my wife at this point. We met somewhere in between the end of my first semester, junior year, and the beginning of my spring semester. And we had done that thing where we had gone out on a few dates. We went to Zaw's. that's still a thing. That was our first date. And then we'd gone on a second date. I don't remember where. But it was getting into that place in a relationship where all my friends were like, have you done the DTR? And I was like, what is the DTR? They're like, that's when you just meet with, your, meet with Alyssa and you tell her, just define the relationship. You talk about, okay, here's what I'm thinking. I want to date you. Do you feel the same? And I was like, okay, got to do this. I'm going to work up my courage, drive over to South Tower where she was living at the time. I'm going to just say, hey, can we talk? So I do that, get to her room, and I say, okay, I've come on this way because we need to have the DTR. And she said, what? What is the DTR? And I was like, you know, defining their relationship. And she's like, I've never heard of that. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. It's going great. Um, and then we did. We were on the same page, thankfully. And now we're married. God works in mysterious ways. Um, but I'm, I was thinking about that because this is the place. So if you were with us two weeks ago, we talked about how God, when he led his people through the Red Sea... He led them into the wilderness, which is crazy because we, we looked at how the wilderness, the place of suffering, the place of hurt, the place of disappointment is the place where God really reveals our hearts to ourselves. And he reveals his heart to us, his heart of patience, his heart of love, his heart of forbearance. But then he immediately leads them, leads them also to the second. The second place he leads them is to, the, to Mount Sinai to reveal the law of God to them, to reveal to them what a life of love toward him and toward one another looks like. When you look at the Ten Commandments, we're going to do three things, but let me just say this on the, on the get. The first four are all about what it looks like to love the Lord your God, as Jesus said, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the, the last six are what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how the Ten Commandments are kind of broken up. What I want to do is we think about, so why does he do this? What, what, what do we do with the Ten Commandments? So I want to talk about three things. There are three kind of functions in the life of a believer the first is, I want to talk about how, God's, how the Ten Commandments protect us. The second thing I want to talk about is where they point us. And the last thing I want to say to talk about is what they provide for us. So, so what they protect us from, where they point us, and then lastly, what they provide for us. So let's think for a little bit about what they protect us from. And, and this is what you have to see, that God didn't engrave on those tablets anything that was not already engraved on our hearts by virtue of being made in God's image. Part of what it means to be made in God's image is the moral law, which is summarized in the the Ten Commandments, is actually written in the heart of every human being, that it is engraved in us. It is ingrained in us. That's why there's no place in the world where I could take a shotgun and murder a 10-year-old and it would be morally acceptable, That, that there wouldn't be consequences, however different they might look in a different culture. No one got this better than C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote, he wrote this book about this idea. He called it the Tao. Basically this idea that the moral law of God that is summarized in the Ten Commandments is actually written in, in the heart of every human being. He wrote about this in his book, The Abolition of Man. And he was talking about, he was wrestling with what we have inherited as a culture. Where we basically said do we really believe that old foolish restrictive morality. That our grandparents or our parents believed? They were sexually repressed. They were, you know, living these sort of lives of honor that were oppressive to everyone, especially, you know, certain races or classes or, or, or genders. And Lewis was writing this as a response to the rebellion of secularism he was seeing in his own day in England. And here's what he wrote about just this idea, though, of how this is ingrained in us and how that's just true. He wrote the singer handout. He said, if my duty to my parents is a superstition, then so is my duty to posterity, my children. If justice is a superstition, then so is my duty to my country or my race. If the pursuit of scientific knowledge is a real value, then so is conjugal, marital fidelity. The rebellion of new ideologies against the Tao, in other words, our inherent understanding of morality, is rebellion of the branches against the tree. If the rebels could succeed, they would find that they had destroyed themselves. The first thing I want you to see about the Ten Commandments, the summary of God's law... Is it's given to us to give us the conditions in which we flourish. To give us what a life of flourishing as a human being made in God's image looks like. And negatively, what it means is it protects us. The take commandments are are sort of like if you've ever driven on a mountain, winding mountain road that's steep. And if you've ever driven one that's got no guardrail, it's terrifying. Like we did this when we went on a road trip to California between San Francisco and L.A., there are these parts of the roads where there's no guardrail at all and you just see your van, like I saw my future, I saw my death just right around the corner. And the idea of a guardrail is it, it, it warns us and protects us from destroying ourselves, right? And in that sense, God's, the Ten Commandments are like that. They are reminders to us. They are a warning sign to us. They are reminders of what a life of flourishing as someone made in God's image looks like and also, conversely, they're a warning sign Of what lies beyond when we disobey them, when we disregard them, of how they can lead to destruction. Like Lewis says, like branches rebelling against the tree. Um, The way I was thinking about this is how this is engraved in our hearts. In my spring break, that same year, my junior year, one of the things in my life that I'm most ashamed of is a moment in my spring break trip, junior year of college. My friends and I decided... We didn't really make a great plan because we ended up going down to Myrtle Beach, which is just always a bad idea. Sorry if you're from there. And uh, we, I, we were like staying at my buddy's cousin's house. But this one night, we decided we were just going to try to find this party where we knew some friends. And we drove... As we are trying to find the party, we drove into this apartment complex somewhere in Myrtle Beach. And as we pulled up, we saw this really strange sight. We saw a door wide open. And inside... A guy totally passed out on his couch. And on the table, our eyes tempted by evil, was a pile of cash. And my friend said, hey, let's go take that money. And the other three of us said. And we went and took that money. 200 bucks. We split 50 bucks apiece. It was one of those things that, what do you do with that? I stole Right, like I need Jesus. Jesus died for that moment. And here's my point: Did I need the eighth commandment to tell me not to do that, or did I inherently know that that was wrong? And here's this is the answer is actually, yeah, because what the God, what God's law does is it, it 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 testifies to our hearts about the truth of what pleases God. It spells out for us what it is that God loves. And then conversely, what it is that God hates. Uh, here's another way to think about Suzuka. So, we're, we're, we're pumping Suka, I promise it's worth it. You really should think about going. We're not just trying to sell you something that's like lame. It really is a lot of fun. But there's a sign that I always think about. My kids love going to summer conference. We go every year. And there's this one pool that we swim in that's got this sign. And in the sign, it just says this. I wrote it down. It says... Uh, do not use pull. Do not use pool if you are ill with diarrhea. <laughs> it's like do we really need a sign for that. Like, isn't that sort of we kind of know? Like, I hope we know we know better, right? If you are ill presently, some of them say if you are ha- actively have diarrhea, like, as if you could passively have diarrhea. I don't know. <laughs> but it's sort of it's a sign saying something that we inherently know or should know that you just don't want to get into a pool. <laughs> into a pool when that's your situation, right? Uh, If if you'll bear with me, the Commandments are like that. They're spelling out for us something that is already engraved in our hearts. Another way we could say it is positively, they are the conditions of community, of fellowship with God and with each other. And then negatively, they are a warning sign that if we fail to keep them, if we disregard them, if we break them, it's bad for us, it's bad for everyone. It leads to the breakdown of community. It leads to destruction. So first... What the Ten Commandments protect us from. Then second, think with me a little bit about where the Ten Commandments point us. All right, work with me for a second. So what's fascinating about the Ten Commandments is that God doesn't give them directly to his people. He gives them to a mediator. He gives them through Moses to the people. That's why the people say we can't deal with God on our own. to, To face God ourselves and all of his holiness would crush us. Moses, you speak to God for us. And in this way, we've said the whole time that Moses is, he's a picture of what Jesus is going to be. Jesus, who is the only mediator, Hebrews says, between God and man. Jesus, the only one who fully relates and knows what it's like to be human, but at the same time fully is the son of God. But then, as as Moses brings down these, these tablets from Mount Sinai, he finds this interesting scene. We're going to look at it in two weeks is he finds the the Israelites in the very moment, as God has just given them the Ten Commandments, he finds them worshiping a golden calf, breaking the first two commandments boldly and wildly. And part of what you have to understand, if you're ever going to understand the Ten Commandments, is they are the picture of a perfect life, a life of love to God. And if you're true, if you have any true understanding of yourself, you know that not only have you failed to keep them, but that you can't possibly perfectly keep them. The Ten Commandments in this way are like a mirror. Have you ever done that thing where you like look in a mirror and you immediately see something that's flawed in you? Maybe you've got, you got a, a rogue bug coming out right here and you're like, oh. Or maybe you've got you know, disheveled hair and you're like, all right, I've got to do this. Or when you get older, you find like wild eyebrow hairs and like gray hairs in your beard. and You're like, all right, I'm vain enough to pluck these things. It's, I'm not proud of that. But they, it reveals to you what is true about yourself. That's what mirrors do. And God's law is like that. It is a mirror to us showing us the flaw, our flaws, showing us our brokenness, showing us the ways we failed to love God. Um, there's a, a scene out of Flannery O'Connor's Wise Blood, one of her only novels. And the character Hazel mitts he's a fascinating one. He, he becomes the anti-creature of the gospel. But he has this moment in his life as a young boy that is important to the character, where he follows his dad to a fair, to a festival, and his dad tells him, "All right, me and my friends are going to go into this tent, and you don't know, to, you don't need to come in here. It's not appropriate. What's, what we're going to go see is not something a, a little boy should see." So his dad says, "Here's some money. Go see the monkeys." And of course, this piques Hazel Note's interest. And so, as a little boy, he walks, he sneaks into this tent, and it doesn't Flannery O'Connor in a master way doesn't. Fully describe what he sees. But she says that what he sees begins to haunt him. He knows he's come up against something. He's seen something that he's not supposed to see. He's seen something that, that draw, draws out a lust in him, but he's young enough where he doesn't know what to do with it. And so he begins to do two things. His mother, when he gets home, he confesses what he's done and she starts beating him with a rod. You know, he, he experiences the worst of religion. But at the same time, he's carrying this guilt. And here's how O'Connor says it in your hand up. His mom said, Jesus died to redeem you. She said, I never asked him, he muttered. And he forgot the guilt of the tent for the nameless, unplaced guilt that was in him. The next day, he took his shoes in secret out into the woods and he filled the bottoms of them with stones and small rocks. He laced them up tight and walked in them through the woods what he knew to be a mile. He thought that ought to satisfy him, talking about God. Nothing happened. If a stone had fallen, he would have taken it for a sign. But after a while, he drew his feet out in the sand and let them dry. And then he put, the shoes on. he put the shoes on again with the rocks still in them. And he walked a half mile before he took them off. And I love this image. O'Connor is so great at getting the ideas of guilt and grace. But here she nails guilt. Because sometimes what the Ten Commandments do in us when we face them, when we realize them, when we see them, is they show us our guilt. They show us the ways that we have failed they showed let me say it this way, they showed us the ways we have not loved God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we have we have been about so many other things and loved our hearts have been drawn to so many other things than they have in love to God, in worship of God, in prayer to him, in trusting him. I just was having this conversation with a friend where he was like he was teaching at Acts sixteen at SC State, and he said, It struck me, he said, you know, when you think about what is a God, a God is something you someone you turn to in fear, when you're afraid. When you're lonely, when you're stressed, that's what your God is. What do you turn to when you're afraid, when you're lonely, when you're stressed? And he said, I think, honestly, most of us, we could say our phones are our God. That's where I turn to when I'm stressed, where I'm lonely, where I'm afraid. We fail in that, but then we just take the other six, right? Have you honored your parents? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever lied Have you ever murdered someone, not physically, but as soon as they've left a room, man, you've talked so much crap about them. It's like as soon as that door shuts and they're a safe distance to their car, you're like, that guy. What a joke. Or her. What's her deal? Right? And then it's interesting, Paul, when he starts talking about how the Ten Commandments worked in him, in Romans 7, he says, Paul, you remember Paul? Uh, Paul, who was Saul, like religious of the religious, Pharisee of the Pharisees, thought he had kept all the commandments, and he said the Spirit worked in him. He says in Romans 7, he said, I was feeling pretty good about myself until I got to the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. And he said, that's the one that undid me. Right? I mean, this is, y'all, have you coveted? Just, I don't know what your experience of Instagram is like, but like Instagram for me, I'm like, it's just like covet. Yep, covet. I wish I had those friends. Yep, wish I had that kind of style. Yep, wish I had that kind of money. Yep, wish I. You know, it's just like of like a volcano of covetousness flows flows from my heart. And so, part of what the Ten Commandments do—they're working on us—is they show us ourselves. They show us that we are that we don't just sin. This is what Paul is saying around the seven, that we are in fact sinners. Which is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says, "You guys think that you have constructed a life." that is carefully avoiding sin. But he said you're like like a clean cup that's clean on the outside, but have you looked inside and seen the mess of coffee stain that's mudded to the bottom of it? He said that's where sin comes from. It doesn't come outside in, it comes inside out. And the Ten Commandments do that in us. This is why Francis Schaeffer, one of my heroes, he said, someone asked him, a journalist asked him one time, if you had 10 minutes on an airplane to, to present the gospel to someone, what would you say? What would you do? And his, I've never forgotten his response. He said, Here's what I would do I would spend the first nine minutes expounding on the Ten Commandments and the last minute telling them the good news of Jesus. Because he said, you, you cannot be prepared for the good news. This is why when you see those signs, I just saw this on my drive back from Charleston, those signs that say, Repent. And then they say, Jesus died for your sins. But what if you don't know your sins? Like the Ten Commandments are the window for you of what your sins even are. And unless we, take, unless we look at them, unless our hearts ponder them, we're never going to rejoice in Jesus, the good news of Jesus that he has saved us from every commandment that we have broken multiple times a day. And this is why Luther – and the other side this is like a positive – like part of what Luther – Martin Luther is a story in his life where he had his barber asked him one time, I want to learn how to pray. And so Martin Luther has got this great little book called A Short Way of – it's called Something About Prayer. It's a simple way to pray. It's in your handout. Simple way to pray. But one of the things he says is part of what gets my heart engaged in prayer is moving through prayerfully through the Ten Commandments. And he says, look at the quote in your handout. He says this. He says, these are the Ten Commandments in their fourfold aspect. And here's how we praise them, each one. Namely, as a school text, God is showing us, he's instructing us. A song book, we have things in the Ten Commandments to praise God for, for who he is. A penitential book, in other words, a confession. We pray. We confess as we move through the commandments in a prayer book. We know how to pray for each other as we move through the Ten Commandments. And he says this is is how we're, if we're ever going to confess our sins, we've got to be conversant with the Ten Commandments. If we're ever going to know how to pray for one another, we've got to be conversant with them. But part of what they're doing in us is they're exposing ourselves as sinners and they're preparing us for the good news of Jesus. They're showing us, here's how Paul says it in Galatians 2. He says it like this. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then he says, For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You see what he's saying? He's saying if you actually could keep the Ten Commandments, then Jesus died in vain. If you could actually have constructed a life of love to God that was worthy of salvation, then Jesus' death is worthless because you've, you've tried to be your own savior. And the Ten Commandments are pointing us. They invite us to look at ourselves and then they, they, they cry out for a deliverer. They cry out for a rescuer. That's why Paul, if you've ever worked through Romans 7, he does that thing where he says, that which I wish I did, I do not do. And that what I wish I did not do, I do all the time. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he doesn't say, my hard work. My ability to really pull myself up and keep these commandments. That's not what he says. He says, praise be to God. Praise be to Lord Jesus Christ, my deliverer, my rescuer. Uh, I like to think about it like this. I don't know if you're a Queer Eye person on Netflix. Um, my wife and I are. I think about, I've been thinking about this a while, like the heroes in our culture right now are the friends who get in touch with Queer Eye to suggest the makeover for their friends, right? Like, that's a good friend. They're like, all right, your life is a train wreck. <laughs> And we're going to go to uh, behalf because you're clearly not seeing it. So we're going to go to the guys who can make your life better. In, you know what I'm saying? In like a limited way. <laughs> um, and I think this is, and then I think about when I watch that show, I think about how Bobby's the one who's like, <laughs> like the other four guys are like drinking wine and laughing. And while Bobby's like building a house, right? If you ever watched the show, like Bobby's doing all the hard work. That's Jesus in this scenario. Jesus is doing all the hard work to undo our law breaking. And then part of what happens is, if we're being honest, spiritually, we're all the person that needs a friend to call a show like that and say, hey, you're not seeing it, but your life is actually a train wreck. Spiritually speaking, and we don't need a makeover. We need to be resurrected from the dead. Right? We need the wake-up call of, you think you can save yourself? No. The Ten Commandments are saying, you need a savior. You need someone who dies... For the, all the times and the ways you've broken these Ten Commandments. And you need someone who could fulfill all righteousness, which is Jesus. And he's come for that very reason. And this is the last thing I want you to see. Is what, God's, what, God's, what the Ten Commandments provide us. Uh, most of us envision the two tablets as two different parts of the two commandments. But actually, they are more like copies. One for God to keep and one for his people. I think about it like this. When I do weddings, there's always the most awkward part is the marriage contract. And if you've ever done this part or seen this part, there are three copies, right? One goes to the, the state, one goes to the couple. And I guess technically I'm supposed to keep one, which I don't, but it's just a, but it's copies of the same thing. A copies of a contract, a covenant that's been made. And this is what the Ten Commandments are. Is they are showing us what a life of love to God looks like. They are showing us. We don't have to guess what pleases God and what displeases them. They're showing us what a life of God looks like. A life of love to God looks like. Uh, The Puritans used to say like this that the law does two things. First, it leads us by the hand to Jesus because we need a deliverer, but then it leads us back by the hand to the Ten Commandments to show us what a life of love to Jesus looks like. That's why Jesus in John 13 said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He doesn't say, If you love me, you'll do what your heart feels. He says, If you love me, you'll study and know my commandments. That's Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a super long meditation. And the goodness of God's law in our lives, that its power to condemn us because of Jesus is gone, so that Paul can say there's no more condemnation, and then it positively becomes to us a sort of guide, a map, you know, a, a place where we know what it is that pleases God and doesn't. I'll close with this. I think about there was a part of my a time in my life a few years ago where I was speaking at this camp, and uh, I was trying to make my way back from the camp stage speaking area back to my cabin and I didn't have my phone with me and it was pitch black and I'm like trying to make my way and I get completely lost in the woods like to the the point where I'm thinking about just I mean raising my hand wouldn't have done anything but just crying out help you know help me I'm lost and thankfully about that same time someone came they had a flashlight on their phone and they sort of guided me back to my cabin when I think about that, I think about the three things that I needed, or the three things that were happening in this scenario. Here's the first. Is I really could have hurt myself. Like I really could have fallen, taken a little stumble. I'm not the most coordinated guy in the world. I could have taken a little, little tumble over a hill, broken something. Second, I needed someone to come and, and rescue me. I needed someone to come and, and, and help me. And then the last thing I needed was a light into my path. And that's what, the, that's what the Ten Commandments are to us. They're, they're all three of those things. They show us the danger. They show us what flourishing is and what the danger is. They show us our need for a rescuer. And then the last thing they do is they show us. They're a light. And Psalm 119 says, They're a light, a lamp into my feet, and a light into my path. They show me the way. They show me the way of a life of love to God, what it looks like. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these commandments. Lord, I, I do pray. I pray for myself and for my friends that you would. Really um, let us wrestle with them. I pray that we would take them as a guide to prayer to you. As a way to confess our sins, but at the same time as a way to know what it looks like to love one another and to love you. Lord, we need that. We need your spirit to work in us in those ways. And we ask for it. We pray for it in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and sing the Doxology with me. I'll throw you off. See you soon.